Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio.
Blog Talk Radio.
Welcome to the premiere for Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks with your host, Mr. Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. This is Sonia Perdue, and I will be Mr. Carter's co-host for this show. We want to thank all of you for joining us this evening. Mr. Carter, good evening to you. Good evening, Sonia. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to have you here. Well, Mr. Carter, although this is your premiere show on Blog Talk Radio, you are not new to the news or media industry, and we're going to talk about your background in the industry. But first, tell our listening audience what you are hoping to accomplish and what they can expect by joining us on Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Well, what we hope to um, and what we not only hope, but Black Wall Street is more of an implementation type of organization. So what we're looking at is the directions and activities that uh, sustain and increase black businesses. So all of our activities, and we have maybe about 14 activities, ranges from black contractors in the neighborhood, uh, the legislation of uh, the, uh, the Illinois Senate on the Black Wall Street District of 75th Street. We're meeting uh, tomorrow regarding a Black Wall Street district on the west side of Chicago. We are focusing on a Black Better Business Bureau. We are um, engaging in other legislative uh, initiatives that address the issue of black versus minority. So overall, people that get involved with Black Wall Street, what we're looking at activities and actions that actually sustain and increase black business. That also goes for the beauty industry. That also goes for a, a trade in which we're looking at in the black farmers, where we're working with uh, the Reverend Al Sampson. Uh, so the range is large from contract procurement to private uh, works that happen in the community to the ma and pa. Our thing is to look at actually the visualization that we have sustained and increased black businesses. So the, that's, the, a, that's a large agenda, Mr. Carter, cover, covers a large area. Let's uh, let's go through and break some of this down for our listening audience. We're, list, we're speaking to Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Now, let's start at the beginning so they'll know who you are, Mr. Carter. Uh, tell, our, tell our listening audience about your background as a Chicagoan and paper man first so they'll know a little bit about where you're coming from. Mm, well, that is can be very intense, uh, but raised in many different parts of Chicago, mainly um, known for growing up in Robert Taylor Homes on 53rd and State Street, um, and my background is similar to a lot of you from being a part of the Minister Society, uh, as some people may call it, to being involved with the uh, Black Panther Party, moving on to the Black Student Union, going to school at UCLA, coming back here to Chicago, and doing community organizing work. Uh, but even prior to that, uh, that entrepreneur spirit uh, led me with even being a paper boy, where having the most papers delivered in the city of Chicago. Back then it was the uh, uh, the Chicago American, and then it was the Chicago Today paper. Uh, I had no idea that I would round up um, being in the newspaper business 
in which um, that happened working with public housing residents of Taylor uh, Residents United Towards Harmony. They, I was working with the Chicago Defender as a uh, an account executive, uh, and the residents of Taylor uh, Homes asked me to come aboard, help them with a newspaper, and upon helping them, it filled in my hands. Uh, and in doing so, um, I converted the paper to South Street Journal, and in that, um, the my organizing roots have kept South Street Journal at the, uh, I guess, at the cutting edge of, uh, of news and what's going on to the point that Columbia University of New York is now writing a book a um a documentary putting together a documentary um and a web presence for an archive of the 16 years of South Street Journal but one thing that i've noticed is being in business and being a entrepreneur businessman owning a newspaper the reflection of the black media tends not to be a reflection of its priority of its community uh, if you look at most black media, black newspapers, for the most part, their advertising base was dependent on other folks. So as I began to continue to see this decline in black advertisers with my business, I've seen that Black Wall Street was the key to help to sustain not only the community but my personal agenda of my newspaper as well. So, and you, you look at other newspapers, uh, community newspapers, they have a reflection of the advertisers from their community. For the most part, black newspapers do not. They have a reflection of more corporate advertising opposed to the ma and pa type of businesses. And that's due to the black community have not kept up the pace as it is with other ethnics when it comes to business. So South Street Journal moved on the agenda of Black Wall Street as the host organization uh, to push this. And so for the past two years, two and a half years, really, we've been engaging in that and, and coming up with uh, concepts and directives of what we can do to help sustain and increase black businesses. And with that, there's been a host of many organizations from around the city and even to the point that it gives us great uh, admiration to be even working with the Chicago Black uh, Business Network uh, based on the results of where we are now on this here radio program, which I think that it gives us a chance to communicate with the, uh, uh, with the, read, with the listenership of the uh, Chicago Black Business Network, along with other networks in the Chicagoland area. And taking that in consideration that Black Wall Street is not just a Chicago organization. It has its roots from Tulsa, Oklahoma and of 1921 to its national headquarters in Oakland, California, where they have had their Black Wall Street for at least since 1999, and then there's maybe about five other cities around the um, country 
that's involved with the name of Black Wall Street. We all have our own initiatives as reflecting in our particular uh, cities, but we're going to be bringing all that to a head in August 2010, where we're going to have the first national Black Wall Street Summit that will be held here in Chicago. And so we are very grateful for that, uh, that the other cities will want to host this first convention here in Chicago, uh, along with those other cities are very uh, uh, ecstatic to a great extent that uh, Black Wall Street Chicago was instrumental in making sure that the Illinois Senate passed a legislative bill in support and acknowledging the Black Wall Street of uh, 75th Street here in Chicago. So there's a lot going on, and I hope that we can channel that energy that Black Wall Street has through the uh, listenership of the Black uh, Chicago Black uh, Network, where we can not only network, but we're also going to implement a lot of that networking that we discuss on this here program. Thank you, Mr. Carter. You're listening to Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks, and Ron Carter is the host for this show. We're doing an introductory here because we want our listeners to get to know Mr. Carter, the agenda of Black Wall Street Chicago, and what you can anticipate in future shows. And I wanted you to go uh, ask that question about your background and in Chicagoan and as a newspaper man because I wanted the listeners to know that you have some longevity here and that you've been an activist for a long time. You're not the new kid on the street. No way. Around... That's right. That's right. <laughs> no way. No My way. Age goes along with that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. You, you've been about as a community for a long time. You're very knowledgeable about the community as a business person and on the political front. And as you told me, you are a newspaper man. Now, I want to ask you, Mr. Carter, uh, congratulations on that collaboration with Columbia College. That's, that's great news. That's the first time I've heard that. We're going to talk about that a little bit more on upcoming shows. So that's, that sounds like a, a great honor. You should be very proud. And I'm glad oh, that yeah. you're taking the time to recognize you, too. Right. Well, even with uh, honor comes work. So we got some work to do that, and that's going to definitely be a matter of fact they have uh created a a archive of every issue for the first 15 years of south street journal on their website so from the first issue of south street journal up to the end of uh, 2008 every issue that you ever want to um, uh, see regarding south street journal it is online so they have done some good work within the last year and a half archiving each issue and developing a database of the type of stories that we have um, written and that we have addressed. Uh, so if you ever was um, mentioned in South Street Journal, you can go to that website and you can find your name will pop up as well. That's wonderful. We're going to uh, place that on our on our website. You listen to Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network dot com, and this is a collaboration between our our organizations for the very fact that we know that there's a lot of work to be done, and that's what we're doing here. And this is just the beginning, and I think this is going to be a very exciting 
and successful venture on our part. So I want to know, Mr. Carter, uh, tell us about what took place uh, down in Springfield last October, the designation for Black Wall Street Chicago. Well, that was a, uh, I believe that took place, it took place October 28th of this year. Uh, we've been working on the designation of 75th Street, which is a business strip from State Street to Cottage Grove, uh, approximately about three-mile stretch. And it just so happens for the past, oh, 30 years or more since I was a kid, that that particular business strip have approximately a hundred and twenty businesses, and of those hundred and twenty businesses, we did a tally, and we found out that of those hundred and twenty, a hundred and hundred and fourteen of those businesses are black. That is the not the norm for many cities in the city of Chicago, in the United States. Pardon me. In relationship to New York, Atlanta, Oakland, um, even our original base of Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we asked uh, Senator Donnie Trotter to uh, present South Street, I'm sorry, present Black Wall Street uh, as a resolution of a proclamation. He, he put a proclamation from his office, but he went further than just a proclamation from his desk. He actually presented the Black Wall Street District through the uh, Illinois Senate, through committee, through hearings, to the point that all 52 senators of the United uh, of the Illinois voted in favor of the Black Wall Street organization and 75th Street designation as a Black Wall Street District. Um, as you get involved in a lot of things that one may in, encounter, you don't look at the full impact because you're doing the work. And as you do the work, you continue to focus on exactly that. But it took Oakland, California, our uh, chairman there, Michael Carter, no relationship, is to say that what we did here in Chicago it, it turned the tides for other Black Wall Streets around the country. It even tied, turned the tide for Tulsa, Oklahoma, in which we're moving in the spirit of. Because for those that are not aware, Tulsa, Oklahoma um, was a, a, a city that the black economics controlled the whole city to the point that the, the white merchants and the, and, and the white uh, community came to Greenville of um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, to get loans, to, to shop. And that black community sustained itself beyond the norm of not just a black community, but as far as the other communities, non-black, that's around them. As they made that uh, that high success, uh, I think that I don't know if that was you or if, no. I was talking to some other member of uh, Black Wall Street, Jan, and she brought it to my attention that they were so great. The only way that they could uh, be stopped is they had to be killed. 
and to the point that that's what happened. Of Tulsa, Oklahoma, there's a record of maybe about 3,000 blacks that were uh, killed and murdered during the Tulsa uh, riots. And, again, that riot spit off from the old term of a black man whistling at a white woman. And uh, it got so intense that there were bombs actually dropped over that particular uh, community of Tulsa, Oklahoma. So in the spirit of Tulsa, Oklahoma, we had the Illinois Senate with Donnie Trotter to pass this legislation. And with Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, Oakland, California, uh, uh, Atlanta, uh, those other cities see what we did here in Illinois as a big victory for them where they're going to push that same agenda through their uh, state senators as well. So it's a major task. I think that what we have done was created and living black history. And even though as major as that is, there's still a lot of steps that we got to go as it uh, our president indicated that it was uh, Wall Street to Main Street. We said extend that on to 75th Street. And as we passed that legislation here in Illinois, it just so happened it is the home base of the president. So it's going to create a, a, a domino effect around the country and definitely an effect here in Chicago where even tomorrow morning we will be on the west side of Chicago where we're going to have dialogue and discussing the Madison Street in the heart of Chicago from California to Austin to change that to the point that we have a black Wall Street district consciousness. And with that consciousness, we're bringing in black businesses that want to set, set up shop on there. So the the message of Black Wall Street, even though it have a consciousness of people being aware, it also have an agenda of implementation. And that agenda of implementation is carried out uh, and, and reviewed every three months where we have our summits. So we are monitoring ourselves as we monitor others in the agenda to sustain and increase black businesses. And this legislation from the, uh, from the Senate floor give us that position of not only reaching out for implementation, but also in a form of negotiating what a black Wall Street district should be about as it comes to this stimulus uh, program that is uh, now throughout the United States. Even when we look at the um, the uh, Congressional Black Caucus, they have a concern now where they don't want to sign off on the uh, the business uh, bill of the president due to there wasn't enough meat in that bill to support black-owned businesses. So we got to be conscious of that, and we're thinking that the, the, the term of Black Wall Street is a term similar to if you want to use the term black or if you want to use the term African American. Some people even use the term still Negro. But there is a term that associates with the black experience, and that is what we're gauging with that spirit, but with implementation and with 
follow-up and, mo- and monitoring what we have accomplished and what we hope to accomplish on a quarterly basis. So the agenda is broad, the, uh, the mission is broad, but the, the, the idea is that we're still a little bit, not a little bit, but really behind the eight ball on a lot of the business development. But I think that we should kind of take that in consideration that the, the, the civil rights bill itself is no more than maybe about 40 or 50 years. So we're behind, but we also have moved in a little great stride based on actually the, the, the civil rights bill that was passed during the 60s. Before that, we still had the Black Wall Street District of Tulsa, Oklahoma, but yet we still had the, the, the racism that, uh, that kind of pulls us away from the success, even if that racism is covered from the, uh, the business of selling drugs to moving up the corporate ladder of major corporations. So we've got a, a long way to go. We hope and we are looking to engage the listeners in a, in a role that we will be focusing on the agenda of sustaining and increasing black businesses with examples as well as with a focus of having that black experience to buy black. We got and an agenda hoping- here. We have a we have a great agenda here, and uh, and we're going to move forward on it. You listen to Black Wall Street Chicago speaks. Uh, our host is Mr. Ron Carter. We're just taking a little time because this is the premier show to sh- share a little bit about Black Wall Street Chicago and Mr. Carter's background. Our calling number is three four seven three two six nine four seven seven. Leave your company. Information and website links in the chat room. The caller number is 347-326-9477. We have a few people in the chat room. I see our first guest is on the line as well. Uh, We want to ask you a couple more things. Uh, Congratulations on that designation. We're going to come back. We're going to keep that in as we go through every Thursday. We're going to keep that in the forefront of our listeners' minds, and we want to help them have a great help them have a greater understanding of what that means uh, throughout the Black Wall District in America. And we also hope to have all of those from those Black Wall Street districts across the country on a show, even before the summit. That would be a great show, and we're looking forward to that. Also, uh, um, one thing came up yesterday. And I'm sounding like a newspaper person myself, aren't I, Mr. Carter? You got it. You're <laughs> on the road. <laughs> one thing came up yesterday. I was looking at VON. It was about eight uh, council persons there and about a few people from the uh, state, um, a few state representatives there. It was an hour-long show. It's not what you can do an hour with all those people. But okay. um, I came in, like, at the end. And one thing that you mentioned here in the opening, distinguishing between black-owned businesses and versus minority businesses, and one of the, I think her name was Ms. Hunter, I'm not sure, she said that out of the stimulus package, there was about 1.6% actually designated specifically for minorities, and 50% of that was designated uh, only for African-American 
are black because the other 50% was going to the other minority, white women. And that's something we're going to have to talk about more on a, on a different show. That was interesting to me that you would mention that Oh, yeah, tonight. we definitely have to look into that That's very seriously with this legislation to back up that type of uh, action from government. Okay. And another thing uh, about Tulsa, how, you know, what uh, Black Wall Street actually represent, represents the the memory of that horrendous act or acts upon those people, upon our people. We're going to also keep that on the forefront of our people's minds as they have come to greater understanding of, of what that really means. I don't. Once they stop that, there uh, they put so much fear. Where was it starting again? It hasn't. It took a long time. To come back right. to this point again, almost because well, we have to also. It, it, I guess it wasn't Tulsa was an economic engine of black people in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But there was black economic engines around this uh, country. Now, even Chicago and Harlem, if you uh, of New York, Bronzeville. Uh, the, I know that this is a national program, so maybe I can give a, uh, a perspective of Bronzeville here in Chicago, in which it is a black community, but in the 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s, Bronzeville, this community was a, a, I guess a community that ran the economics of its own. And it ran it through what was called the policy where the uh the negro uh football uh baseball league was funded joe lewis boxing career was funded uh you had uh teachers and low income and upper income living next door where quincy jones nat king cole um uh, uh, the host of people lived and stayed in bronzeville and they controlled the economics of this here particular community but one part of that economic drive was the policy, the numbers. I think a lot of people remember the numbers in the Malcolm X movie where he was um, in Bumpy in New York, where the numbers were, I think when I was a kid, the, the man come knock on the door and give my mother a little slip, and um, that was her numbers. And, and right today, those numbers, the uh, the policy number is called the Illinois State Lottery, in which the Illinois State Lottery made that a first it was outlawed, and as it outlawed to the policy number, that took away a self-sustaining economic base. So they didn't do it with the the bombs as they did it in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but they did it through the law that stopped this Bronzeville. Uh, development of black businesses. And as they did that, uh, starting in the 1960s and 1970s, now this Bronzeville community, as we indicated bronze based on the family, is almost integrated with others. And that population shift from a stable black community to a community where the streets such as 35th Street, 39th Street, uh, 43rd Street, 47th Street, 51st Street, 58th Street, all of these commercial strips were, uh, and originally were based on the Jewish, and then it turned black owners, and now is 
uh, Mid-Eastern and Koreans. But all this here happened just in the 80s and the 90s. And so something happened to the point that I would say no Mid-Eastern knows how to get off a plane and come right to 47th and King Drive without some instructions. Somebody got to tell them where to go and how to get there and give them the resources to open up a business. So the the relationship that the United States government have with Mid-Easterns, just the way the United States government have relationships with China, where they have educated their uh, students, we have to look at the big picture, even to the point where Black Wall Street is at, is that uh, the year 2040 and the year 2020 would be submitted to the city of Chicago in 2010. So we have to look beyond the immediate needs to what the future is going to be, and which is in the process of planning. The city of Chicago did not plan to increase the surrounding loop by 175,000 residents without looking at that economic base of what those 175,000 residents, I'm sorry, 175,000 housing units, not residents, that has increased. So as the black population of Chicago have decreased and others have increased, that's also a shift in the economic stability as well. So we got to look at this whole big picture that it's not just Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was physically blown up, but also the uh, political and social agenda as it relates to many communities, uh, black communities throughout the United States. I had to put that in that little history point, uh, Sonia. <laughs> and you know what, Ron, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, there's a lot of ways to kill a dream. That's what that's what it is. Oh, yeah, that, that's, that, that is it. Mm-hmm. That that is absolutely it, right. and uh, this is going to be a history lesson to people, and we're glad to have it. Uh, you're well versed in all areas, and we're going to cover. We're going to work you over in every area. We better. I week better time. be as a newspaper man. I better be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a different kind of newspaper man and media person out here now, and I'm not going to say much about that right now. But what do they know? They know how to read. So what can I do? Oh, yeah. But, well, some newspapers it, create the news. Some newspapers make the news. We like to try to be a part of both. I got you. I got you. This is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to go to a break. You're listening to Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, and this is Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks, his premier show. We're going to go to a break, and then this is what we're going to do. We're going to make a couple announcements of some events that Black Wall Street has coming up in the past, in the next week. And we're going to uh, then turn the show over to Mr. Carter. His first guest is on the line. So this is what we're going to do. We want to thank you for joining us, and we're going to be right back.
We're back, and you're tuned into Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks with your host, Ron Carter, Chicago Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, and this is Sonia Purdue, and I will be Mr. Carter's co-host for this show. You are listening to a song from about 1975, the Pointer Sisters, Yes We Can, Yes We Can, Can, and that's pretty much why we gathered here uh, this evening, because we, we believe that we can. Before we go back to Mr. Carter and go to the phone lines, we'd like to make a few announcements. First, Black Wall Street Chicago has opened up their organization, and they are now accepting new members. Come out and meet Mr. Carter, the board members, and the committee members of Black Wall Street Chicago this Saturday, December 12th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the offices of South Street Journal, located at 449 East 35th Street. 449 East 35th Street. This is a membership drive. The doors are open for everyone to join. To our SVP and for details, contact the Office of Black Wall Street Chicago at 312-624-8351. To our SVP, call 312-624-8351. That, that's this Saturday, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. One more announcement before we go to our phone line and back to Mr. Carter. Reporters Harry Porterfield and Cheryl Burton did a half-hour segment on the now-designated Black Wall Street District and with the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, Ron Carter. And you can watch that segment on Saturday, December 19th, on Channel 7 WLS here in Chicago at noon and at 6 p.m. We want to share that information to you, and we will remind you again a little bit later in the show. We want you to be a part of that also. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. Our chat room is open. You may leave your company information and your website links in the chat room. Press the number one if you'd like to speak to our guests or if you have a comment this evening. We will say the last four digits of your telephone number, and you will know that your mic is live from this point on. Please identify yourself. And tell us what's on your mind this evening. You're listening to Black Wall Street Chicago, and our host is Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Mr. Carter, are you there? I am here. And enjoying okay. the program. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, we have about four people on the line, but what we're going to do is we're going to go to your your guest, Mr. O.B. Wordlaw, and I'm going to turn the show over to you, Mr. Carter. Good evening, Mr. Wordlaw. You're on the good, air. Good evening. How are you doing? How you doing, Mr. World Law? How are you, sir? And um, let me say, you ought to be commended for sticking with Black Wall Street and founding, finding it here in Chicago and all the wonderful things that you've done. And I'm proud to be a part of it. Well, we welcome you. a lot from you today. Oh, you I did? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Well, we've been uh, glad. I remember when you first came, when we first had our meeting, uh, ooh, I guess a year ago, and you came by the office, and uh, I think I had my schedule mixed up, and uh, you reminded me that you got your schedule down packed, and we had a meeting, and from there we was moving on forward from there. That's right. So um, uh, you say Obi when most of the time uh, we say uh, Mr. Wordlaw, you say call me Obi. What's that all about? Well, one thing is that I try to maintain humility because I am a little older than most of you young men that's participating in this Black Wall Street. So 
again, my hat's off to you. So I like what you're doing. But mm-hmm. so that's why I always re- ask you to refer to me by my first name. Okay, Obi. Well, tell me, um, tell me how long you've been in business, and even uh, before you went into business, uh, did you have a, a a drive or interest to enter business? And about what age did that start? Uh, I mean, yeah, I say about seventeen years old. And, and you business ever since. Uh, from well, what was, what does that business consist of? Well, uh, even uh, at seventeen years old. Donut shop, I follow a donut shop, ice cream parlor, liquor stores. When I got older, uh, just I'm an entrepreneur. Mhm. And so, that has been your driven uh, to from seventeen all the way up to the present. Yes, until we finally opened up a medical equipment and supply company when I met a young lady who had a doctor's degree in nursing and she came on board and we decided to uh, do a medical equipment and supply company. Mm-hmm. Well, let me uh, go back just a little bit um, at 17 years old. Um, did Was that the norm of you or was that the norm of your peers about going into business? Well, I'd say it was uh, something that came from my father, which, he never wanted to work for anybody else, and even though he did, he always instilled that in us to always try to have our own because we recognize that in order to be successful and in order to be a viable com- component of your community, you had to kind of own your own. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, the nucleus for where that came from. Is, are you the only uh, business person in your family? Is that something part of your uh, family uh, traits, or, is, or did you kind of just step beyond the the employment right into business, or is that something you know from the rest of your siblings or family members? Well, family members, all the family members, cousins, uncles, nieces, all of them have been business minded, so it seems to be a family trait. Mm-hmm. Okay, very interesting. I think that that is through. Would you? How would you compare then, based on what was uh, traded in your family, to where the black community is today? Is there a resemblance, or is not? And if it's not, why? If it is, how you think that continues? Well, you mentioned some things uh, that uh, kind of had me thinking about how things took place over the period of years. And some of the things that uh, came about, you use the phrase constantly about they, and that's always, to me, seems to reference other ethnic groups having some kind of control over us. What uh, I think we both know, uh, Webb Evans has constantly been talking about the attitude that we have. So I kind of listened to Webb Evans and some of the other people older that's been out here for quite a few years, over the years have been talking about the attitude has to come from us and and we have to change. And if we lift ourselves up, then nobody else can put their feet on us. So we have to change our attitude and move forward on how we conduct ourselves in a business atmosphere and create wealth for our own community. Do you think that that is um, that we have to step up a little bit more compared to other ethnics when it comes to uh, 
business and entrepreneurship? I think we already have it. I think what has been done to us is that we've been debriefed on how to control or how to be in charge of our own community. And uh, to be de- to not have uh, being instilled, not instilling in ourselves, and, and every time I get around some youth, let me say it this way, every time I get around some youth, being the age I am, which I won't say at this moment, I literally apologize. How about a later moment? <laughs> okay, at a later moment, I'll tell you. Okay. But what, what I apologize to the young men and women in my community because we still have not yet passed down the mantle on how to create your own wealth. And that's something that older generations have got to start doing a better job of, and that is in, in, uh, taking our youth almost when they come out of their mama's womb and start teaching them how to be entrepreneurs and self-sustaining in their own communities and controlling their own community. Well, there is a case where uh, my understanding uh, with the Japan, where they have that type of uh, structure of gearing the youth on what type of vocation they will have as they get older, even to the point that here in Chicago with uh, Lake Meadows uh, right across the street from Black Wall Street office, where that used to be a a 90% black population community, and now it's about 50% Asian, uh, to the point that the Asian community of China has uh, paid up in advance for the education of their uh, youth. And as they have done so, they get their education from schools such as uh, IIT, and then they are mandated to come back to China to fulfill that education that they got here, specifically here in Chicago. Do you think that um, a mechanism such as that is a practical, needed, or possible for the black community, at least here in Chicago? Well, see, my position is that if we drew a circle, and in that circle, everything that we touch has economic components to it, and we need to be talking about how, when we are sitting with our families and our children, if you're using the Asian model, uh, I wouldn't necessarily use it other than for the reasons of that's one segment of what they are do- of somebody is doing. But there's many examples that's even coming from us if we start sitting down having dialogue on what each one of us are doing and where the money is in our community and how we can harness our money, then the examples can come strictly from us. I even come from me, it can come from you, it can come from the young lady that's there. So we don't necessarily have to target any any particular ethnic group, but the bottom line is is that we recognize where all things that we touch have money or economic components to it and start teaching our youth that, then the creativity among us will start emulating the things that bring about wealth in our community. And as you mentioned something before, is that in Black Wall Street, other ethnic groups was coming to our community in order to borrow loans. Well, this is an individual that I'm not want to lambast because of the fact that we all hold them in high esteem. 
But if we use the, the, the conversation, if we talked about Jackie Robinson, Jackie Robinson went to the Major League Baseball League, but we can also talk about health care and everything else in reference to this concept I'm, I'm mentioning now. When Jackie Robinson left the major, left the Black Baseball League, we were getting standing room only from all ethnic groups to our stadium for three thousand mm-hmm. dollars or whatever that figure was to go play with the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. When Jackie Robinson went and started playing with the Dodgers, we lost millions of dollars from losing mm-hmm. from uh, so I see our from. stadium. Right. But that also, I'm in the medical field. Okay. That also, when we were allowed to go and join the white medical associations, we left our medical field. When we were, as attorneys, when we were allowed to join the white bar associations, we left our association. So if you drew a circle, then the only thing that comes to my mind is that my attitude was wrong, and I got to really be de-brainwashed in terms of how, and I think Webb Evans always say, if we start buying from each other and start thinking about creative ways to use, utilize each other, which we already do, because 90% of the businesses hire their own people. Mm-hmm. So when we right. talk about other ethnic groups, the mm-hmm. Asians that, that you mentioned, the one thing for sure is that charity begins at home. So you take care of your daughter, your son, mm-hmm. and everybody else first. Right. Well, you know, I right. As a matter of fact, I even had to put on my investigative head as a newspaper, and I went to an Arab store, and I just had to ask them the question: Why don't you hire uh, the black community? Naturally, he was surprised. Why should I ask him that question? But he got relaxed, and he responded by saying that first you hire who you know, you hire exactly. who you trust, and you hire your family. Exactly. And that then there is another question of whether you're going to hire someone else. Um, you brought to the Black Wall Street table um, the concept which you have, um, I think you have trademarked, uh, follow the money A to Z. Yes. Can you give me uh, an example of how that may apply to your business and how that can apply to a entrepreneur that just have have not even started business yet? One of the things that we've tried to do with that concept, and I've, this that statement, that concept, that trademark is pretty much all over the country and some parts of the rest of the world because we do a lot of traveling and we articulate that fact. The One of the things that we're saying that before you get caught up in the ambiance of whatever it is you're doing at the moment, if you have to be sitting around with a group of people and you have a cup in your hand or you have a bottle in your hand or you're watching TV, before you get caught up in the moment, what you do is you dissect where the money is in that environment. So, for instance, if you got a cup of a, a bottle in your hand, who made the bottle? What come? What happened? Who put the design on it? Uh, who's marketing it? Those kind of conversations we have not yet started having enough of around our children and our families, and when we go to family picnics and churches and etc. So though, that's why it came to me that you and I need to start talking about economics when we're in a room, 
uh, my grandson came over and visited me one day, and he said, I'm a, I enjoy Grandson. Right. <laughs> Are we getting I close to that moment, it. aren't we? Right, we're working on it. He said, I enjoy visiting <laughs> with you and having a beer. He's old enough to have a beer. Oh, we are getting very close to that moment, aren't we? Right. Let me say this here to you. Before we have a beer, son, you and I need to talk about where the money is. If after we talk about where the money is, then I'll have a beer with you, but not before. So we're saying that we need to start doing that so that our children who are sitting at our feet start listening and hearing about where money is or where economic opportunities are. Mm-hmm. So every time I'm in an environment, I try to interject something different. Like right now, they're looking for a spaceship to collect the nuts and bolts out of space. Let's have that conversation in our family. Mm-hmm. So one of our genius, our children who are geniuses might decide to come up with some kind of business that will relate to that process. So that's where following the money from A to Z comes from. So it may be with your concept of following the money from A to Z, there probably need to be a course. But in the absence that there is not a course, how are you actually fulfilling that as it relates to others that cannot look at that bottle in their hand and think about where is the money from A to Z? Number one, by being part of Black Wall Street, you've introduced a, a concept where we have a uh, follow the money A to Z every Wednesday morning. We had talked about that. We created a think tank in the Black Wall Street where we are able to sit down and think about ideas and where you might would think about where there's money, and we talk about how to extrapolate the wealth from that project how to go about getting into that kind of business. Mm-hmm. So we're doing well, that now with Black Wall Street. Well, tell us tell us a little bit about your business. You, you How long have you been there? What do you do? Uh, um, are you more of a commercial or retail or wholesale? Um, and I think I've seen some notes where you're ranking somewhere in the top businesses in the state of Illinois? Uh, we we are, and we also rank, uh, I think it's 125th in the nation as one of your leading uh, businesses. Uh, black owned well, Very good. Congratulations. Uh, that's very much up there. Well, well, thanks to my business partner, which is a Dr. Julia Borns, and her foresight, we've moved quite rapidly, plus we just relocated in a new, a larger facility here on the west side of Chicago, because we believe in keeping our business local. And mm-hmm. uh, but we've been in business 23 years. So, what are some of the products uh, or services that uh, you provide? Well, we manufacture wearing apparel, which is i.e. isolation gowns and uh, shoe covers and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also we distribute all over the country. Uh, we also have several Department of Defense contracts, so we're doing we're doing quite well. We can mm-hmm. we need more business, we need more contacts. Following the money from A to Z, anybody that know anybody in purchasing that works for the federal government that buys products, then if you happen to be a cousin of yours, introduce us. 
So you mentioned that you, uh, your business, uh, you're located on the west side and you have opened up another location again on the west side. Uh, why aren't you in the suburbs or why aren't you, uh, in the, uh, the loop or why aren't you in, um, on the south side? Why are you on the west side of Chicago? Well, because I understand that if I can that, uh, location of a business is very important. So what makes that so important to your business, or is it beyond business that you located on the west side or for some other reason? Well, you mentioned something about having a, a talk with one of the uh, persons on the south side, and you asked them why would they uh, not have other ethnic groups working for them, and they told you that they would start with their families and friends first. Well, we pretty much feel the same thing, same way. We like to hire from the community so that we would be a positive uh, entity in our community. And on the west side, we recognize that a lot of businesses were either, which is no problem with the mom and stores, so we decided to bring a different kind of business in this area. And we're encouraging other manufacturing firms and larger corporations to come and join us. Mm-hmm. Like you okay. something about the entertain the uh, hair care product, we would like to see Dudley Hair Care product uh, bring a company over here on the west side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that, um, which I definitely would be in attendance, that there is a a drive uh, to have a black Wall Street district on the west side of Chicago, the same as what was done on the south side. Uh, can you elaborate on that and what that means or what that could mean and if that's actually possible based on uh, the street that has been generally identified as Madison Avenue in which it has a very low uh, black entrepreneur or businesses located there. So how practical or what's the direction there and, and why? On Madison Street, if you go back uh, 40, 50 years, has been a mecca of black businesses uh, because, again, of our attitudes and not uh, teaching you how to shop with me, then we've let other things take place that uh, removed us from this area. But this is actually, uh, as much as 75th Street, black, uh, the, the Madison Street has been, Definitely a street where you had your major black businesses. And even today we are anchored by a business, Edna's Restaurant, which has been here over almost 60, 70 years. We got big old movers. We got MacArthur's. We got a lot of black successful businesses on on uh, Madison Street. So this is a good area to start as what I consider it, even with 75th Street, as a pebble in the ocean. And the wave effect will be when we can establish large communities, not just one street, not just from uh, California to Austin on the west side and 75th Street, but when we actually have encompassed a community because 75th to Madison Street is not really a big stretch. What if we make sure that that area really has a large proponent of black businesses? Well, where is that again? Is that a 
practical dream or is that a practical action that can be done based on the makeup of the minority of blacks that operate businesses on the west side? Uh, yes, it's a goal, and those who are creative and who understand the fact that you you mentioned something about, and I hate to always use other ethnicities, but you mentioned that they had a plan. So that plan that they had encompassed uh, them doing the things that they did to help enhance their community and their country. Uh, when before on uh, 25th Street, and the little village before they were able to, when they came into, when the other ethnicities came to Chicago, started coming in groves to Chicago, that, that was primarily Lithuanians and uh, a white area. Now you can go all the way to 63rd Street, all the way to uh, North Avenue, and you'll see nothing but another group of people. So, yes, it's very possible if we change the attitude. And this is why we, uh, we, came, we came out with the phrase, follow the money from A to Z, because everything that we touch when we start learning how to find where the money is and start working that program, then, it's, the, you know, it's unlimited where we can go. And well, a group of people that's going to come out of slavery, you're doggone right, <laughs> we can make this happen. Well, let me. Uh, in your, how long has uh, you, your your business been in existence now? This business has been in existence for twenty three years. So, what do you contribute your success to? I understand your your saying, "Follow the money from A to Z." But is there another mechanism that you have been using? to actually make your and have your business to be as successful as it is? I mean, what do you contribute that to? We've always been sitting down, creating ideas that would move us forward and working hard toward those goals. We've had a strong business plan on our direction, so we actually sat down and wrote out the business plan on where we wanted to be 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, a hundred years from now. So, so you actually still follow your business plan? our business plan. How, how often do you review it? Uh, I'd say about once a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that has been your guide and your monitoring piece on exactly where you are and where you're not and where you want to be. If you don't have a plan that you can follow, then you're just all over the all over the road. So you got to sit down and put your plan together and put it in action. And I think I heard you, and that's what you're doing at Black Wall Street. That's why you're to be commended as to how far Black Wall Street has traveled up up to this moment. And I know the vision that you have is, you know, hopefully we will uh, soon, but very soon, have an area that is like they refer to Chinatown, Greek town, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we want black town, not necessarily African-American town, but black town. Mm-hmm. So, well, the Chicago Urban League, at the time that the Black Wall Street was formed in 2007, of May 2007, uh, really we got formed about March 2007, the Chicago Urban League kicked off its Project Next. Uh, let me, in, not to take anything away from the Chicago Urban League, but one of their clients of what they done was they 
uh, assist and evaluate businesses to help them move to the next step. One of those businesses that they helped was the uh, Chatham Foods, in which uh, upon their evaluation, it turned out that, uh, matter of fact, Chatham Food came to a Black Wall Street summit, and they made an announcement that they were going to open up a new store, in which uh, definitely the community was uh, delighted to hear such a news. And then maybe about four months later, uh, Chatham Foods announced that it was going to sell its business. Uh, not being in the, the meeting table of Chatham Foods for them to come to that conclusion, can you uh, have some type of insight of what could drive a business person to uh, say they're going to open up a store uh, one month and then be about three or four months later indicate they're going to close the store or sell the store? Um, and is counseling helps you to say that with business counseling, can it help you to say that you are it's time for you to retire or it's time for you to uh close the store or time for you to open up a new store and is that based on the business plan? Can you have some insight on how a store could make that type of decision? Yes. Number one, all the things that you mentioned, the owner was at retirement age or it needed to sell. Like right next door to me right now, we have a Spanish gentleman who has a family, large family dollar store ready to sell. The difference between his store and the mentioning of what you just did with the uh, food store mm-hmm. is that he, their community has been training their people to come in and buy that store. We, you and I have got to keep doing what we're doing in terms of training our people to start uh, recognizing that this community belongs to us. We need to keep the businesses, the food businesses especially, in our hands. So we need to have entrepreneurs who are willing to step up and purchase that property. But what keeps happening is because we have the, our attitude has not yet been totally molded to look start looking out for yourself first, then those kind of things take place. But there's nothing wrong with the fact that he had this, that he decided that this was too much for him. We just needed to be able to help him find another <coughs> business person to take over that store. Mm-hmm. Right. I understood that the uh, he did try to reach out to other uh, potential black uh, businesses that was interested in the uh, uh, food store, but he was not successful uh, in, in doing that and where he ended up uh, selling it to uh, another ethnic group. Um, why didn't get, the food well, – let's, let's talk to Al Sampson – and why would not the black farmers buy the store since you since we're doing some what ifs? But okay. the only point is that the attitude has to change among us. I've mm-hmm. been victim. I've been involved in the same thing when I had a liquor store. So it's I understand the concept, but what happens is none of us are offering the right buying price for his business. Mm-hmm. So you and I have to teach me and teach our public 
to start trading with each other, which is what Webb Evans constantly talks about. And that way, we, he would not have had to sell or he would have been able to get prime dollar for his property where he would have been able to sell it to another one of us. So right. all those components are very necessary for us to start really building a viral, vibrant community. Now, there is a initiative part of Black Wall Street that address a Black Better Business Bureau, and which um, definitely is being tailored after the Better Business Bureau. Uh, do you think that a Black Better Business Bureau is practical, and what would you think that would be the major components if it is? See, I think you keep hearing me say follow the money from A to Z. So I see it as an economic component. I don't have any problems with, I don't know what their charter, how, how they see themselves fitting into the economic component or how we see that working. But every aspect of economics ought to be considered in our community. So if the Better Business Bureau is, is, it becomes uh, a success, then hopefully it would help us find ways to get money out of the banks to make sure or wherever there's a financial institution that would help us be able to buy and purchase better pieces of property or buy that store or buy other businesses. So I don't know what direction they plan on going in or what direction mm -hmm. it's going in. But well, as far as, mm -hmm. right, as far as consumer relationships, for example, there is a stigma regarding the um, uh, black businesses when it relates to sometimes services as it relates to maybe black contractors where they're not as diligent on the job as others. Uh, the concept of the black Better Business Bureau is to try to be a mediator when those type of issues arise. Do you think that that is a practical means that needs to be uh, uh, used uh, in order that for uh, consumer, black consumer, and black business relationship? Is that is that necessarily needed? I wouldn't have a problem with being a part of that, but I think it goes way beyond them. I think it's uh, I need to be, when I say I am talking about other business people need to come to the forefront and we sit down and dissect the things that uh, don't let our, do, the things that are not letting our people come by from us. Why do other people can put on a TV program and show a Budweiser sign and all of our people will jump up and go buy a bottle of Budweiser? So what is it that we as black businesses are not doing to motivate the people to come and spend their money with us? So even if you put black, what you're referring to, all, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you've been in many stores that were not black that you were not satisfied with the service. But in the meantime, it didn't drive you away from that store. You might even, you know, like the stores that you just mentioned, the meat is probably not smelling too good, but we still <laughs> mm -hmm. we still go in there. So what is wrong with our attitude? So our psyche, the business people, i.e. Right. all the people I know that are in business should have a program that will help motivate the people to keep doing business with me regardless and help teach me how to take care of you. But most black businesses, 
first of all, we need to stop giving out bad information, and then we need to also not have negative comments coming out. And when we see a black business that's not doing what it's supposed to do, then let's have the Better Business Bureau or another black group of black businesses go and talk to that business. Well, how much to take into another angle here, even though we looked at the historical uh, Black Wall Street of Tulsa, Oklahoma, where it was self-sustaining and it was uh, definitely on the rise of a a business capital, but the overtone of racism is what ended it. How much do you look at racism have a part in black business and entrepreneurship? I look at that as you and I have got to start talking about how to work with each other because the only thing that overcomes whatever that is you use in the racism card is that if I'm making enough money or if I got my stuff together, then you and I, number one, will be okay. And we will be prepared to undertake whatever adversities come our way because we got enough wherewithal to take care of our game. And I see that as overcoming racism and everything else. But that also means that I got to teach my children how to make money. Well, would you uh, contribute the rate, uh, the recent um, legislation and laws from the Supreme Court? That banned the use of of, of contra- contractual procurement from identifying a particular nationality to lump all nationalities in the sum of minority, even to the point that there is is broken down by minority women, and then there's another category of gay. Is that a deterrent from? Uh, black businesses, even when it comes to uh, contra- contractual procurement with uh, government agencies? Well, see, again, I always put the blame to the extent that you and I need to sit in a room together and find out what's, as they used to say in the olden days, what's out there against us. And once we discover what that is, then we sit here and come up with a program to help circumvent that. The reason why those people are able to come out and pass those kind of laws and et cetera is because they have figured out how the person with the purse strings can move those people to do what they need them to do. So if you and I, uh, not to go biblical, but there's a phrase in the uh, a scripture in the Bible that says money answers all things. That means that if you got some drama, and if you got some money, then you can work with that drama better. That don't mean the drama's not coming. So you and I need to have money conversations on how your children and my children can start playing with the economic components that liberates them, and that is in every sector of our society. And well, there was touch. There was um, understanding this is a national uh, talk show. But here in Chicago, there was a uh, alderman by the name of Ed Vidodiak, and uh, this is the time when Harold Washington was mayor. After Harold Washington passed, uh, Vidodiak became a little bit more uh, liberal in his way of thinking. 
he made the remark that uh, the council wars uh, between black and white in Chicago was not about race, but it was about power and not about race, and race was used to sustain power. Uh, is that a practical business uh, direction, even to the point, if I can add on to that, the uh, corporations, when they are promoting their business, they say the best way to get to the black market is not through direct advertising, but through promotion. And race you have a lot a major factor in how they direct their marketing strategies. Um, do you think that that is the case? I think that's a, permit me to say it this way, I think that's a good idea by the other group. I just think you and I need to understand how that's done and learn that as a lesson so that you do it. Ronald Reagan said, and I'm not a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, I won't say which one I am, but Ronald Reagan said when he was running for president that we're going to, if the black community keeps 5% of their income in their community, they won't need public aid, et cetera, or anything else. So my, so I, from that school, if you and I, Convinced each other how to motivate the people that we do business, that we're dealing with, people that look like us. If we can convince them, not if we can convince them, once we set a program together to convince them that their best interest is to do business with themselves, then at that moment we will get other ethnicities to start doing business with us. Mm-hmm. Well, so whatever then, it is that is necessary so that we'll all be getting a piece of the pie. So if we look at uh, parts of Chicago where there is um, Chinatown, uh, Greektown, uh, Little Village, which is Hispanic, and uh, so as we look at those, uh, especially if we look at uh, Chinatown, where they are self-sustaining and they are... uh, have an economic base within themselves to the point that no other uh, group would think about opening up a shop on Chinatown in Whitworth, uh, but yet they do not have an elected official uh, that's guiding the economic stimulus to Chinatown that well, we know they of. Do, they do because they identify with their community, i.e., China and wherever they came from, Korea, et cetera, et cetera. But the issue, and I'm not saying we boycott anybody, but one of the key elements is that if you keep on eating Chinese food, and it's not necessary mm-hmm. for them to change their ways. Now, if you want to have an effect, then you and I have to strategize on how to make some changes that causes people to consider not treating us that way. Because economics is what drives, they, you know, it's a whole bunch, since you mentioned that group. I hate to single out any one group because I'm always dealing with us. But if you look at the fact, there's a whole lot of little stores over there that ain't making no money. Mm-hmm. So, if we, so if we sit here and just use them as an example, which is what I don't like to do, because I realize that whatever other ethnicities are doing, we learn some of theirs, but we got some black gold. I mean, some black examples that we can take 
to make our community work. And well, who are, yeah, okay. Who, who would you say that are some of those entrepreneur examples or business people in the black community? Uh, neither, I know that there are many, but who would you say kind of influence your direction or is it still going back on your father? I'm still going back on the whole, we can go all the way back to Marcus Garvey. We can go all the way back to uh, how we were treated during slavery. So did they have, did Marcus Garvey have an influence in your way of thinking when it comes to uh, blacks and business? Exactly. Not okay. only him, but Martin Luther King, even Jesse Jackson. Martin Luther King in business? Do you know that Martin Luther King was, there's some, well, you said it's a national show. But anyway, some of the things that took place was not because uh, he had, was talking about I have a dream. Some of the issues that he was dealing with was national and economics. So mm-hmm. once he started going beyond that point, you know, I think if we really looked at some of his other speeches, we'd see where he was talking about making some money. Yeah, so, uh, the term of cashing a check. The check is insignificant. <laughs> right. right. Uh, okay. So, you know, so I, you know, that's why I'm saying to you when I mentioned Jackie Robinson, you know, if you're going to take uh, uh, and, and pay a guy $3,000 or whatever it was that took him to the Dodgers, once they came over there and saw all their people coming to the game, and we lose hotels and bars and every other thing, that money components, popcorn machines, et cetera, et cetera, then you have to realize that uh, the game is on how to take the money out of your hand. Mm-hmm. So what would you consider yourself? Are you a uh, private business warrior or a masterminded uh, decision-making uh, businessman? How do you describe your your style of running a business? All of the above. Do your staff uh, jump when you walk in the door, or they are happy when you come? Uh, they don't like to see me, but I'm, I jump when I see them, I tell you that, because I'm very humble to have, mm-hmm. because I recognize that in order to have work or own businesses, you must have people that work for you that don't have a problem with coming to work, that don't have a problem with being creative, because you can't grow by yourself. You need help. Mm-hmm. So I have that kind of staff. And I really do have a business partner who, without her, uh, you know, this company would not be where it is today. So I'm very proud of my relationship with my people. Mm-hmm. So you keep relaying to your, your business partner. Who is your business partner? Who, my who? business partner is Dr. Julia Bowen. She has a mm-hmm. doctor's degree in nursing. Mm-hmm. And she's been very instrumental. Like, I'm an entrepreneur, and she is a tacticianist in terms of the medical field. She knows more about the medical field than I do. So mm-hmm. she sent me out to do all the dirty work. Well, how did you know whether to have a business partner as you establishing your business? Uh, when do you decide that it was time for a business partner, or are you going to be the head nacho and everything that's going to fall under your direction or you need to have someone to be a business partner. How did you come to that decision or when did you know that it's time to come to that decision? I have all my life recognized that in order to build anything, you needed help. 
Mm-hmm. And in order to build, in order to get help, you had to be willing to share. And so I haven't never had that problem. Even as a child, I was brought up sharing. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I didn't have a problem with a business partner. But mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's difficult finding the right mix. But uh, I've always looked for that. Mm-hmm. Do you? Uh, how would you? Uh, give that type of advice to others based on, uh, well, for the most part, a young entrepreneur that uh, have the gusto that uh, they want to go into business and they feel the drive to, if it may be, to be the boss or to be the honcho or to realize that they may need to have a business partner. How is it a way to determine that? Uh, based on one's personality. Well, I couldn't. I don't know how to answer that other than to say that I know in my heart of heart that people need people, and if you don't recognize that, then somewhere down the road, if even if you grow large, however whatever large is to you, you got to recognize number one, you didn't do it by yourself. And number two, if you intend to grow larger, you're going to have to have some people working with you, and uh, you're going to have to be willing to share the limelight and share that space. Mm -hmm. Well, you look at uh, Chicago as far as its uh, business leadership. Um, I guess this is not a total good example, but the um, Johnson Publishing Company, naturally for years it has been – the top business uh, in the United States, uh, Oprah Winfrey is here, uh, uh, Aerial Capital Management is here in Chicago, you have this organization called Chicago ABLE that uh, have at least a minimum of 52 uh, members that are all millionaires, Uh, so you have a great mixture of successful businesses here in Chicago. Uh, but yet it seems as though that there is a major gap with all the success that uh, blacks have achieved in business. What would you contribute that big gap between those? Um, I mean, then again, there's a lot of black millionaire businesses that are young, uh, in their 40s, per se. Right. Uh, but yet there still seems to be a major gap. Uh, what would you contribute that to? I contribute that to not having the right attitude. Again, I always say I don't like to speak negative about anything, but our attitude, we need to change our attitude. We need to, this is why, again, we came up with the slogan, following the money, having a money conversation in our families, because right now every person that you mention, and they probably, I don't even know if they would agree, but I guarantee you it's a lot of truth to it. Every one of us are not comfortable to the extent where the money that we have in our coffer, we believe that if we lost it today, we could get it back tomorrow. All the people that I know from another persuasion because of the cooperation that has been passed down throughout their history, then they have been able to at least go to someone else if they run into a dollar problem and I think you, we all, somebody's always talking about Donald Trump. Well, how many times has Donald Trump been close to the brink of, of not making it? And uh, mm-hmm. he was always able to go somewhere else. So it's 
that kind of uh, comfort zone that is not yet uh, permeated throughout none of the people that you mentioned, in my opinion. Like, I don't believe, and you know, I couldn't say this for sure, but in my opinion, I don't believe Oprah Winfrey is safe with the billion dollars because there's not many other billionaires up there with her where if she lost that money or too many people came at her, she could uh, have a comeback. So mm-hmm. it ain't just her. It's all of us because of our attitude. We got to change that on how to work with each other. And those so, are some of the reasons I believe the gap exists, even though I know that the glass is half full. It's, it's not half empty. It's half full. So mm-hmm. I think those things are changing with young brothers like yourself and other young entrepreneurs. And the more we talk about where to look for the wealth and how to harness the wealth in our community, then that's going to change 5, 10, 15, 20, and 100 years out. So mm-hmm. it is changing, and you're mm-hmm. part of that. So Black Wall Street is doing a yeoman's job and bringing this forth. Mm-hmm. Well, with the host of uh, many different organizations, uh, business organizations here in Chicago, for example, uh, Chicago have uh, 77 different communities, and in those 77 different communities, approximately about 40 of those communities are black. Uh, with that in mind, the the concept of changing the attitude, you are you referring that 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 has to be something for the individual or for a community as a whole to close that gap? I think it's my responsibility. I think it's your responsibility and those of us who are like-minded to recognize that we have to, if we keep on doing the program the way we've been doing it, uh, then we're going to keep on getting the same results. So we need to sit down and strategize those long-term and short-term goals for our community and for lack of a better way to say that, a business plan, a direction, and start measuring each step and moving forward. Mm -hmm. So you have uh, organizations such as uh, Chicago ABLE, which consists of mainly black millionaires. You have the the, uh, Chicago Urban League with its uh, Entrepreneur Project Next. Um, and you have organizations such as uh, Rainbow Push, uh, Trade Bureau. So, you, and then you have a host of Chamber of Commerce throughout uh, Chicago. Uh, do you see if uh, if it's necessary that those organizations come to some type of collaborative agenda in order to move forward or to help change their attitude, or does it continue to rest? Uh, with the individual to change that attitude? Well, it's always individuals, but if you haven't been taught anything, then you can't uh, necessarily move that forward. Like you mentioned something about being raised in the project. Correct. Uh, I know a lot of people who have come from the project, friends, me and everybody else, that have come from the project, but because the programs were not there, to help create uh, thinking uh, entrepreneurial brothers and sisters, then you got a matter of a few people that came out and said, well, I made it, look at me. 
there was not a program that put in place to save a lot more than that. So when you say, so what we need to do is create programs on how to do that. And once we started doing a better job of that, then you and I will start to uh, move in our community forward. So even with those communities, that I mean those organizations that you mentioned, to me the only one that is, is the one that I really would like to work with are the business people because every community, as far as I'm concerned, the business people, even with your high, uh, schools of higher learning, the curriculum is set up to help enhance the businesses and help grow those businesses. So you and I have not put a program together for our uh, schools of higher learning in order to have our offspring come back into our community and help us grow our community. So, so again, it said it's got to come from me and you. So even going back to uh, your father that set an example and your families that uh, many have that entrepreneurship-driven uh, attitude, uh, so you somewhat, even from your father or your own driven, you still had an example uh, of what to follow. Uh, are you thinking that we still need more examples uh, to follow in order to close this gap, or is it still rest upon that individual? Even though I mentioned my father, the neighborhood, some of the, my uncles helped me, uh, some of the older men in my family helped, uh, like we need to be doing the same thing in our community. We can't. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you have any children, but sometimes you might preach and preach to your child and they not pay attention at that moment. Not saying that they won't ever pay attention, but the the, the person that they listen to, if you all are all on the same page, then you can send him to your brother and he will give him the same information you gave him. He'll pay attention. He or she will pay attention to that individual. So a program needs to be put in place or is being put in place and has been put in place. We just need to identify where they are so that we can capitalize, you know, uh, take advantage of them so we can steer our children in those programs that's going to help them learn how to be uh, community-minded for themselves. Right, yeah, I can recall uh, when my daughter, who's uh, 23 years old now, but she was, um, uh, she made a pledge to herself that she would not enter the field of operation that I'm in. She just was so staunch on that, that, Daddy, I'm not going to public relations, I'm not going to the newspaper business, no, 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 no. Uh, then when she got to college, she entered uh, journalism, of all things, and uh, got her degree in public relations and ready to come back to Chicago to take over. I don't know where she got it from, uh, but uh, she got it. She, you know, she, some kind of way... Uh, what I did uh, kind of uh, moved her, but at the same time, I don't know if it contributed to what I did or was in the genes, but something uh, uh, got her where she's uh, moving in the same direction that I did. So I guess as you stated, you never know uh, when that's going to spark as long as you're setting a, a, a road map, and sometimes it's a road map that you don't know that you're laying down, but it does happen, and it can happen. Right. I was in a restaurant here a few days ago, 
and the guys was talking about how bad our children are. And, again, I don't like to even hear that. But the first thing I asked them, because they were talking about the gangbanging, even though I know some of the things going on now is worse than what it was perhaps when we were growing up. Perhaps, correct. I asked them how how many, it was eight of them sitting at uh, this big table, how many of you all were part of the gang? Now, they were 60 and 70 years old. It was only one individual sitting at that table that had never been part of a gang. Mm-hmm. So what was your legacy? Did you leave your offspring? Mm-hmm. So now you and I, instead of talking about each other, we need to come up with strategies and concepts on how to work with each other so that we can liberate our children, make sure that the educational system is put in place to help liberate us. And mm-hmm. when we started doing that, then we won't get we will start having some unity among us. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're having it, so let me say it that way. Mm-hmm. What is a, a question then that one should ask themselves before starting a business? Am I willing you to dedicate the time that's required to see it through? Mm-hmm. And um, is it a matter of um, if a person uh, believes in what it would take uh, to run a business, or is it still a a part of the, the personal drive opposed to what it takes to run a business? Well, the drive, I suppose, uh, because a lot of, like, for instance, I'm in the medical field, not because I plan being in the medical field. I owned a liquor store, and I wanted to own a series of liquor businesses. And I, somehow I find myself into the Do you drink? Field. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you don't drink it. You go get it. Okay, bit, all right, all right. Is that follow the money A to Z or something? What, what's going on here? <laughs> well, you know, I don't drink anymore. Let me say it that way. Okay, all right. So you're looking at the, um, is it still that uh, that principle that you have, regardless of your drive is more of what it takes more than your ambitions to be in business? Uh, You know, you have to ask you that question because for each one of us there's a motivating factor that's sometimes different from others. Now, what it was for me is I never wanted to work for anybody else. Mm -hmm. So that's always been the motivating factor for me. And I figured that if I could, if I became successful, I would have a better heart in helping others than if my brother or sister did that. So I'd rather for it to be me. So I always ask the creator to make me the lender and not the borrower. So when you look in the mirror, do you see an entrepreneur, a businessman, or what do you see when you look in the mirror? A very grateful individual who has been fortunate enough to uh, reach this level and do some of the things that I do. Do and you uh, that every day. do you expect that your company uh, may one day may outgrow you? I believe so, and I'm hoping so because I this is why. Like my business partner, uh, she probably don't want me to tell her age, but she's 46 years old. Mm-hmm. So I almost got her. I got her by a lot. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, not hopefully, I know with the 
kind of uh, determination that she has, uh, this company will be here 100 years. Mm-hmm. And so, know, uh, yeah. Now, well, how do you uh, handle uh, setbacks in the business? I'm pretty sure all this time you have been, but you definitely have uh, experienced some setbacks. Uh, same as opportunities because you're supposed to learn from those. Those are not. It's not a setback. It's an opportunity to learn on which direction you should be going or how to move forward. Mm-hmm. Are you able to uh, let other people down and um, quickly to say no on uh, uh, on your decision making? Uh, that's not letting anyone down. That's making a decision on how to move forward. Mm-hmm. So um, how do you actually um, uh, address the many, I guess, proposals or sale calls uh, that everybody has the right answer to improve and sustain your business? How do you uh, handle those type of uh, outside uh, forces, so to speak? We have regular meetings in our office, and uh we also start our meetings out with a Bible verse from every employee. But uh, we have regular meetings, and uh, when we get through, we have a little pep rally, and then we go out and start to, uh, knocking the walls down. Mm. So you actually done build a a a, uh, a spirit among your uh, your staff as a means of keeping you all together and keeping you all focused? Yes. Okay. So uh, how many people have you fired over the years? Oh, dude, <laughs> a lot. But I don't see me as having fired them. I see them as having fired themselves. You notice that you never fire anybody if they, everybody that comes, in, if you tell them or ask them, what do you want, I mean, here's what I will pay you. And they say, well, I'll accept this pay. Whatever that is, then you expect for them to earn that pay. And mm-hmm. if they're not earning that pay, they're not. you're not firing them. They're firing themselves. Mm-hmm. Or they're so, saying, I don't want to work. You know, it's like a brief story. This lady works for a meat store, and the owner finally sells the store, and a new owner came in with a brand new cash register, started counting all the pennies, started weighing all the meat. She said, I'm going to quit because now I can't steal no meat so me and my girlfriend don't have to buy no meat mm. no more. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she made a business decision more than a... <laughs> right, so, you know, that was, he didn't fire, she fired herself. She about to steal mm-hmm. a man blind, so... Mm-hmm. But anyway, you don't find anybody. They find themselves. Okay. And this is what so, I teach my children and my grandchildren. Whatever you agree to work for, give 110% and learn everything there because you never know when you might either want to start your own business, run that business, or et cetera. Well, let me get it on a, um, take it on a little social, uh, ooh, I don't know how to put it this way, but uh, some of the uh, brilliant uh, young entrepreneurs in the uh, black community so happens to be well-organized, structured drug dealers. How or is it practical to try to, well, even go back, many of our famous uh, 
leaders were in the drug business. Uh, this rapper, uh, 50 Cent, claims that he was in the uh, drug business before becoming a rapper and becoming a businessman. Malcolm X was a drug dealer and a numbers racket guy. How do that criminal element in the, I guess, the, the fine-tuned business management uh, I could never be a drug dealer because I don't think I have the discipline to handle the different personalities that would come along with that may be selling drugs. But how do you uh, transcend that type of uh, element of business to legal business? Uh, is it too late to do that? Well, see, that's probably the wrong question to ask me, but the object is to give more opportunities, more change the attitude of those people, change the attitude of our youth, give them opportunities, and et cetera. But you also, if you look around this society, regardless of what group you're looking at, uh, they have the same issues that you and I have. So, uh, with, again, and I'm always saying this, is that you can't change anything if you're not if you don't have no money or you haven't put programs together to help change that. So in order to stop those kind of things or have put a dent in that kind of stuff, you got to have some wherewithal and some power to do that. So you and I Mr. again need Go ahead. Mr. Carter and Mr. Wordlaw, we have about 12 minutes left on this show. And I wanted you to know we do have a caller on the line. Can we take his call now? Please. Yes. Of course. Thank you so much. Okay. You're listening to Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks with the chairman, Ron Carter, of Black Wall Street Chicago, and his guest, Obi Wordlaw. Caller, you're on the line, 2065. You're on the line. You have a question for Mr. Carter or Mr. Wordlaw? Well, I just wanted to say that I thoroughly enjoyed um, – hi, Mr. Wordlaw. This is June. Hi, Ron. Hi, Hi. Hey, I thoroughly enjoyed um, Wordlow's um, true and passionate uh, encouragement about changing our um, scope and our position and our attitudes, and that's the hard groundwork that uh, hopefully that uh, Wall, Black Wall Street Chicago will do. And I just wanted to share with um, some of our listeners out there that um, some of the plans that we have for the first physical designated Black Wall Street area is that we'll be working with the entrepreneurs on that street, first of all, for the holiday season to promote our uh, Spin 75 on 75. And uh, with that, we're hoping that everybody will go out and spend a minimum of $75 with uh, vendors on uh, 75th Street, and uh, we know that uh, that's just a small offering or portion of your holiday expenditures, but we're going to start there, and hopefully that will ring true in your heart and also in your wallet, and um, we are doing everything from streetscaping, asking for enhanced lighting, uh, we want to put um, on uh, that block, we want to start a business incubator over there. Uh, we'll be looking for uh, one of our academic institutions to uh, 
possibly put a satellite location over there. Uh, we're uh, hoping that we will be able to develop some uh, green um, ecological um, businesses that will jump right into this new green economy and uh, start and spend off over there. So uh, Black Wall Street Chicago is uh, looking for all those people who have great ideas and um, that we can continue the tradition of, uh, of OB who um, launched off into this wonderful medical um, industry and also all of our, uh, our, our, our predecessors who did everything from designing the, the uh, stoplight to uh, cotton gins and, mm -hmm. and everything you know. So we've got a lot of work in front of us, but we have to create that atmosphere and that place where everybody will feel safe and know that there is a future. Right now, we, so many people feel it's hopeless. So I think, um, uh, Ron, do you think that we spoke to the hope? hopefulness that's around here. Right, and you sound like a true board member of Black Wall Street. You really <laughs> got the, the, the carry over of what we're doing for 75th Street. And, Thank uh, you. What, Thank you. Yeah, well, so, June, let me ask you, since you're here, what is the, uh, uh, how do you feel the, the relationship with uh, the concept of Black Wall Street as it relates to the community at large, we have been talking about the uh, the businesses uh, per se and the business uh, point of view. What is the uh, community sentiment when we, what you feel as though it may be when we're talking about a Black Wall Street district? How does you think the community can identify with such a term? Well, our community can identify with such a term. We just are not familiar with the tools and the mechanisms to make it happen. That, as Obi has said, has been masked and hidden from us for so long. And the few of us who have been able to kind of peek behind the veil, um, we haven't had an opportunity um, or maybe the energy to share that information. So our community is hungry and is ready for it. And not only our community, um, our city has to have it. Because right. if if small business strips, if business strips uh, such as um, 75th Street, 87th, 43rd, uh, Chicago Avenue, West Madison, if those fail, then what's quote-unquote mainstream businesses they will they will fail because all those people one who own a small business they go out and they spend at a level that is engaging the mainstream and just imagine that multiplier as my old uh, econ teacher used to say that multiplier effect is what you want to happen now we want to give the velocity of that dollar we want to keep that V value in our community, true enough. But what I'm saying is that the urgency, I hope that there's somebody out there who is listening to us who realizes and, and, and will pick up the mantle that realizes that our communities, our business strips must, must, must survive because their survival is based, America's survival is based on our survival. Well, would you both uh, think that the um – the community at large then is ready to 
make that move as a whole, such as engaging in the black business and buying uh, experience? I think so. And, June, since I talked a lot, I'll let you do the answering most of that. So your comment. <laughs> Well, well, well. Certainly, we want to hear hear from you, hear your words of wisdom and 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 your concepts on that. But uh, and I'm probably just echoing what I've heard you preach so often. But I do believe that we are ready uh, for that. I believe that what we have to do, our job in Black Wall Street, is to make the presentation right. uh, as compelling as possible, right. and uh, so that they will engage it and that they are educated. They get educated down to their very cell and microfiber of their being that Preach. they realize that right. this is what has to happen. Right. So what is the next step then that you all, even though I've been the chair, yes, I do know the many agendas that we have uh, that we're working on, but what do you all feel would be the next major step to really bring that black business experience and buying power that black Wall Street needs to engage in itself. And I and I hate to tell you this, but I want us to wrap this up in like four minutes. So each person, just take a minute because we're going to come back with all of this again next you Thursday. Got it. We're enjoying this so much. It has been such a wonderful, wonderful show, uh, Mr. Wordlaw and June both. And I'm sorry you waited on the line so long, June. And our other callers, we're going to catch a breath next week so we won't miss our calls. But this has been a great start for us. We're on the line uh, with Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago and host of Black Wall Street Chicago Speaks. And this is our premier show, and we're very excited about this entire agenda. We're going to go into uh, a show next week, and then we're going to start again in January with some very exciting guests. And, Mr. Wordlaw, we want to – we're going to have it set up so we can come out and do a personal interview with you with this A to Z concept because we want to take an industry, break it down, or take a product and break it down so that we are teaching people about how to look at the economics of everything that we do. Mr. Carter, can you close out the show for us, please? Well, we first of all, we got to uh, really, uh, Sonia, uh, thank you for this opportunity, making this available to, to uh, Black uh, Wall Street. And, uh Right, I've been uh, looking at the uh, Chicago Black Business Network for a while, and uh, it kept on creeping on me and creeping on me. And you have, uh, if whether you accept it or not, you have took Black Wall Street to an extra level of communications, mm-hmm. and not just based on this, this, this online presence, but what you have contributed internal with the organization of growth. So I definitely have to, uh, I don't know, you say wrap it up. This is, I'm the host, but I'm a host in it to you for, uh, <laughs> for, for, for what you have provided, not only uh, Black Wall Street, but what you have provided to the uh, Chicago uh, Black Business Network as a whole, that we are able to uh, network and communicate with the uh, direction that you have uh, done and you have provided us uh, to have and for the city of Chicago. And, again, it's the World Wide Web, and you have made uh, Chicago Black Business Network just that worldwide. And so all kudos and credit 
to you and and your network and your vision to make this here possible. But yeah. as you stated, we definitely going to have some programming and some uh, Mr. Word Law Obi. Uh, appreciate you not only for your insight that you have given us tonight, but what you have given Black Wall Street with your support and your insight and and, and pushing us. Now you you uh, you sometimes act like a man in the background, but you definitely have laid a groundwork for us to follow. Uh, so Sonia, what we got coming up? Okay. What we've got coming up is a membership drive for Black Wall Street Chicago next week at 445 East 35th Street. That's December 12th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, we're inviting everyone out. The doors are open. We want to see you there. We want to thank our guests. We're going to have them back, to, back again. And I want to say thank you, Mr. Carter. And I want to tell you, yo, I'm not as familiar with your board and you as all of you are. You sound very familiar with each other. But I want to tell you something. I'm going to play. I'm going to leave tonight playing this song by Curtis Mayfield. You know why I'm here? Because this is something that I believe in. We'll see you next week, everyone. Have a great evening. Good night, all. Tomorrow, now. Got it.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.